This morning, as I mentioned, we will be concluding our series on the church. And uh, we've been answering the question, who is the church and how are we to behave? Right? How are we to operate? So we have this new identity as Christians, uh, believers in Christ, and then how are then believers supposed to act? How are they to behave? How are we to assemble with one another? Obviously, I know a lot of us have been in church for a long time, uh, but these are always good reminders. And uh, it's kind of, um, yeah, it's important for us to always be refreshed on these things. So as we've been saying, the church, the church is a new community of people, right? Those who have been saved through faith and who have received a new identity in Christ. Peter's, Peter says it this way. He says, uh, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So we get identity here by Peter, who the church is. And he follows this up and he talks about then how the church should behave due to this new identity that they have. So he goes on to say there in First Peter, he says, Beloved, I urge you then as sojourners and exiles, so you have identity still there, right? Sojourners, exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. So the deeds of the flesh, let's put them aside, put them to death, as Paul would say. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles, Gentiles just non-believers as a whole. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Now he gives more instruction. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it, to be, it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him, to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Obviously, emperor, governors under the Roman Empire at that time, this is what he's saying. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. People were speaking ignorantly of Christians, this weird you know, group of people and believers. And so put them to silence. How? By your good deeds. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. This is a powerful statement here. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. You can tell how that was probably a common saying amongst the church that, that Peter is repeating here. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. My point isn't so much to break all of this down, but to demonstrate how the New Testament letters are often broken up by first telling the church of their identity in Christ, who they are, and then by instructing them in the second part, how to live based off of their new identity in Christ. Here's who you are, therefore, here's how you are to live. That makes sense, right? So last week, then, I introduced the idea of our church uh, taking on a church covenant uh, together with one another. And I emphasize that if indeed we are in Christ, we are, of course, a part of the new covenant that Christ instituted through his blood. So we have a covenant before God and before one another. 
but ratif- and by ratifying a covenant with one another, we are simply acknowledging the new covenant that we are already under, right? Does that make sense? So why do we need to acknowledge a church covenant, Sabino, if we are already under a church covenant, right? Under the new covenant? Well, that's a good question. And I think it's mainly because uh, in my experience, Christians often do not know that they are under the new covenant and that there are expectations entailed within the new covenant, right? So sometimes that may be, uh, you know, that may uh, fall on deaf ears or something. Um, But also a covenant, right? Uh, This is a practice that has been done throughout the centuries, but it also brings awareness to biblical truths. So it brings us all collectively as a body, as an assembly, into biblical truths of what the new covenant entails, it helps us identify who we are, who are the formal members in one sense, who are the born-again, baptized believers within Calvary Plymouth, who is a visitor, who is a non-believer, who is seeking God. I have found that oftentimes, even in our own church, uh, people don't know who is who, you know, and that's obviously then an important thing to understand. And a person may say, well, that's not really a big deal. Shouldn't we treat everybody like a Christian? Uh, the answer is actually no. No, and I, here's what I mean by that. Of course, we want to treat everyone with the love of Christ, but we don't treat everybody the exact same. Right? So if it's, here's for example, right? If someone is a non-believer, of course, we want to build relationship. We want to be loving and kind, but we want to share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we don't want to overwhelm them with Christian commands because they're not converted yet. Can you imagine that, right? Uh, obey all the, it's almost like putting them under the law. Obey all these things, right? Um, but they're not actually a believer yet. They're not converted. That, that would be very harmful. People need to believe before they belong in that sense, rather than belonging before they believe, right? Obviously, to be a Christian, you must be a believer. We understand that, right? So you believe first, and then you belong to the church of Jesus Christ, right? And then, of course, then you're instructed in obedience to Jesus Christ, of course. So this is how this makes sense. And, of course, this doesn't mean that non-believers uh, aren't welcome. Of course they are. They're welcome to all of our church services. Uh, and this is that's one of the ways we evangelize. But we all need to be aware of evangelizing when evangelism is needed, encouraging when encouragement is needed, correction when correction is needed. So it helps us to discern even, doesn't it? And part of the benefit of a church covenant is the idea of being known, being known. Uh, I came from a church of about 2,000 adults on a Sunday, um, and all of us knew as a church staff that we all knew that there were many visitors and many non-believers which would come and visit our church, which is, of course, a good thing. But out of those attendees, if you will, I could not honestly tell you from the majority of the people who was who. I couldn't tell who was a seeker wanting to have questions answered, who was just visiting, right? Maybe from another church. There's just a Christian coming in from another place. Who were the actual members that had been there for a long time and committed people? There are often times where you'd meet someone for the first time and you find out that they had been going to the church for many years or maybe even a decade, (laughs) but you're meeting them for the very first time. And it's like, oh, wow, I I had no idea you were. (laughs) I had no idea you were part of this church. So formalizing a church covenant, church membership, it just helps us to know who we are. 
And this doesn't mean everyone ought to be best friends with everybody, but we ought to know one another, and we ought to love one another, and we ought to serve one another as we have opportunity. For isn't this what Christ calls us to do, right? Serve one another, love one another, forgive one another. And, uh, you know, this type of understanding, too, it really helps us. You know, if you're, if you're engaging with someone and they're not a believer yet, and, you, you know, you, you, you're aware of that, it helps you to not take so much offense then to maybe some of the things that are said or maybe they're, you know, uh, uh, maybe even doing something, you know, inappropriate in one sense or saying things that are wrong or whatever. But we can, un- we can have understanding then, sympathy, right? We can, it helps in our approach to other people. So we are about to then look at a church covenant in detail. Now, this isn't a finalized form or anything. Our finalized, prob- uh, our finalized product will probably look close to it, but I want us to just to look over it and then just discuss it together. So I'm going to have opportunity for questions, uh, reflections, and uh, we can discuss these things with one another. I encourage you to take it home with you, and if you like to suggest an addition or an edit, then we can look into that. I want it to be our covenant as a church It's our covenant. And as I mentioned last week, this covenant that we will look at today and its principles, there are only things that you actually see in the New Testament, right? So there are only going to be things that, things like we read in Peter, right, the instruction given there, it will only be things that the Bible is already calling us to do. So we're not uh, asking anybody to do anything that God isn't asking already. But by formally covenanting with one another, we are simply acknowledging what God has made true through Christ. We are formally committing to what God has commanded us to do. So Pastor Steve and I and everyone else, no one is asking, as I mentioned, uh, for us or anybody to do more than what the Bible already teaches us as Christians. Uh, so with that said, let me just, I'm going to pass this out, right? And uh, we'll, we'll look at this together. Yeah, we'll get some help. Sure. Why don't you pass, pass that side? Yeah, sure. And uh, Kai, you want to yeah. pass it around? Uh, <laughs> if it's your first time, you think it all strange? There is hope. Everyone, um, okay. Thank you, guys. All right. Don't worry. I'm going to go through it point by point, so just follow along with me. And um, so let's look at that. And I'm going to emphasize some points more than others. Some of them are more kind of like self-evident, self-explanatory, so I'm not going to break it all down or anything like that. Um, And I'm also going to... uh, you know, reference scripture passages. So if you want, you can write down a, the scripture passage that's associated with that particular uh, statement there. And uh, just a couple more quick notes. This covenant's taken from a Baptist church in London. Uh, we can make our own edits. I've made a few already, but uh, as I said, we can make our own edits. Also, since we partake of communion once a month, 
the final covenant that we choose, um, we'll either read it, it'll be read by one of us or by all of us every communion Sunday, once a month. So reading the church covenant publicly once a month, it basically just is a consistent, fresh reminder for all of us of our covenant unto God and our covenant unto one another. That makes sense. So then let's look then. First sentence there, it's an introduction. It says, Having been brought by God's grace to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and having been baptized upon our profession of faith, we do now, in dependence upon His Spirit, renew our covenant with each other. Okay, so then, first statement there, right? It says, We will work and pray for the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. It's kind of a, a self-evident in one sense, praying for unity. But this is uh, just so we know, right? So it's like maybe some of us too, it's like, Unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Okay, I understand unity. I don't necessarily understand anything else. But this is taken from Ephesians chapter 4. And uh, I'll read that there. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, he's talking to the Ephesian church, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, Here it is, verse 3, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. He goes on to say, there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So how can we maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace? Well, we must walk with all humility and gentleness with one another with patience, bearing with one another in love. And also we are to remember the things that unite us and that make us one. One body, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. So then all we're communicating through this is that so we will work for this as a body towards one another and we will pray for it, right? We'll pray for the unity of the Spirit and we'll work for the unity of the Spirit with one another. And really this is the first one, and and typically in a lot of church covenants, it's always the first one because just how important it is that we are all collectively working together for unity because we know how easy it is to divide, don't we? We know how easy it is to, you know, take up an offense and then maybe not deal with it, and then it kind of turns into a root of bitterness, and then we start finding all kinds of problems, and then people leave or, you know, or it could be a true sin. Someone could truly sin against us, or we could truly sin against someone else. Well, then to strive for the unity of the Spirit, obviously then we know we have this responsibility to forgive one another, don't we? And so then we need to forgive, and that's being diligent to strive for the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And let me just make one note. Uh, I don't think I mentioned it later, so I'm going to mention it now. Is that What's this idea, of course, of forgiveness? Well, Really, forgiveness is fundamentally about understanding the heart of the gospel. And uh, it's that important. So here's what I mean by that. When we understand as Christians that Christ has taken, you know, our rap sheet, all of our law breaking that we've done throughout our life and that we'll do in the future, and that God has forgiven us of that rap sheet, cleansed us from all unrighteousness, right? And then our brother and sister in Christ, maybe they've sinned against us, but we believe that Christ has taken their rap sheet, even the things that they sinned against us, and he's removed it and cleansed it. So then 
if God has forgiven them and cleansed them of their rap sheet, who am I to not forgive them also, right? So we follow God, don't we? So God's forgiven them. I'm going to forgive them too. Who am I to hold sin against them if God has done it himself already, right? So that's why the gospel in forgiveness is so important. So striving for the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Uh, the second point there, we will be devoted to one another in family love. So we've gone through this whole series talking about members of the household of God, brothers and sisters in Christ. So devoted to one another in family love with humility and gentleness. We will patiently bear with each other, forgiving, encouraging, and building one another up, and lovingly correcting one another where necessary. So we can see how this one is also uh, taken from the passage in Ephesians 4 that I just read. Uh, in Ephesians 4, we read about humility and gentleness. We see humility and gentleness here. This one also mentions forgiveness. And Paul says later on in Ephesians chapter 4, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So all those things that I just mentioned. Then it says also here, right, encouraging and building one another up. It's taken from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. All right, now this hard bit here, right? Lovingly correcting one another when necessary. Ooh, this is what we're agreeing to. Um, Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. This is where it's taken. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression... You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. So don't, don't just go and correct somebody. How you do it is so important. In a spirit of gentleness. And he says in Galatians chapter 6, Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So if my brother or my sister is caught in a transgression, I'm going with him. But think about this mindset and the, the way of doing it. All right, so this spirit of gentleness, but it's also so that I can help bear my brother's burden. So I'm not just here you're wrong and you need to fix this, but here you're wrong and I'm willing to walk through it with you and help you through it, brother or sister in Christ. Let me bear your burden with you, right? So this one kind of brings us to the bigger subject of church discipline as a whole. Now, obviously, you want things to go uh, real easy, like you see in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. You go in a spirit of gentleness. You go to bear their burden. Of course, you want them to say, thank you, brother. Thank you, sister. I'm going to walk with you, and we're just going to do this together. Um, wouldn't that be nice if it always happened? But we know that's not always the case. So what happens if a brother or a sister, right? Let's just pretend here. We'll give a hypothetical situation, but this actually happens in churches, so it's just an example. Let's pretend an example. Uh, you have a brother or sister in Christ. They're a believer, um, at least they profess uh, belief, and um, but you come to find out, it comes to your ear, um, they are in an adulterous affair. Okay, what do you do? All right, well, uh, they as as he says, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore them in a spirit of gentleness. So then, okay, this is a sin. Is it a sin that God can forgive? Of course it is, right? All right, I need to go to them in a spirit of gentleness. And bear this burden. Is there a burden there? Because it probably didn't just happen overnight, did it, right? No, there's a burden there. So I'm going to bear the burden with them through this. Okay. So yes, you still go and you conversate and you try to 
work things out with that person. Okay, what happens if they just totally disagree and they disregard you and uh, they don't receive it? In fact, they get angry with you. Oh, crud. Well, well, Jesus gives us some instructions if things don't go well when you are trying to restore your brother or sister. Did you know there's instruction? There's instruction. Matthew chapter 18. All right. Matthew chapter 18. This is what Jesus says. If your brother sins against you, um, now this is against you in one sense, but it, Galatians 6 caught in any transgression, so we know it could be not necessarily against you, but you're just trying to bring restoration. This is what happens when you don't have restoration. Jesus says, well, then go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. Okay, praise God. They've confessed. They're willing to work through it. We're going to work through it. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So what do you do? Your brother doesn't hear you out. Your sister doesn't hear you out. You bring in another person to say, hey, you know, we're coming together because we love you and care about you. We want you to be free from whatever it is, right? If he refuses to listen to them, okay, so he, they still may not listen. What do you do? Well, you, then you tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. In other words, you treat them as a non-believer. You're actually now, it's church discipline that's taking place. You're removing them from membership of the church. Well, that seems rather harsh. Well, we'll get to that in a second, right? And he goes on to say, Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. What is he talking about? He's talking about whatever you bind on earth. So by removing them from the church like that, what's happening is they're being bound on earth, but more so they're being bound in heaven, right? But whatever you loose on earth, so when you bring restoration they're loosed here, and they're also loosed in heaven. Jesus is saying that disciples, his disciples carry that much authority. He's saying, yes, his church, his church carries that much authority. He goes on to say then, again, I say to you, if two or three agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Now, a lot of times we associate that with just prayer. That's, 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 but it's actually, it's actually a verse on church discipline. If two or three agree that there's, there's something wrong here, he's not acting like a believer, he won't receive any correction, he, you know, it's clearly a sin, but they're just refusing to believe it. I'm sorry, brother, we have to, I'm sorry, sister, we're going to have to ask you to step out of the church in terms of membership, right? So then he goes on to say, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Oh, that's the passage. That's the passage that we often associate with just like prayer groups and stuff, right? Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. That's a church discipline passage, actually, right? Uh, it doesn't mean that if you two or three are gathered that Jesus isn't there. Of course he is. Uh, but he's with us now, isn't he? Jesus said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. So if I'm by myself, God is still there. If I'm with my brother and sister of Christ, yes, God is still there. Uh, this passage specifically focusing on church discipline. So then, if a brother or sister in sin does get to the point of having to bring them before the church, then those in covenant membership could try as well and persuade them. But if we are incapable, we are to treat them as an unbeliever as Jesus is communicating here. So church discipline is taking place. Now this doesn't mean that, here's the thing, people sometimes think, well, that's very unloving. Here's the, here's the problem though. The truth is it's actually the most loving thing we can do. 
because it helps them know where they're at in one sense. It doesn't mean that they can never be restored. In fact, removing them from covenant membership is that they will come to their senses, as Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians, so that they will come to their senses and that they would repent. Oh my gosh, I've gone astray. I'm out in the world now, and the world, it's not good, right? I've made a mistake. I've chosen the wrong path. I need to go make things right with the church, right? And by making things right with the church, essentially what they're doing is they're making things right before God. If they say to themselves, nah, I'm just done with them. I hate, I hate the church, can't stand the church, right? What they're really saying is, I don't want to make things right before God himself. Because isn't the church God's people? God's temple? God's dwelling place? Yes, right? So if someone is saying, I don't want anything to do with that church, with any church, right? The church of Jesus Christ, what they're really saying is, I don't want anything to do with Christ himself, right? So this is important for us to understand. Also, I want to make it clear that this doesn't just apply to you only, those who are members in one sense, um, but it also applies to me, right? Uh, I'm, I'm a, I will be a part of the church covenant as well. I am agreeance with this too. And let me make it clear, I am not above church discipline, right? Sabino is not above church discipline. Paul says it this way in 1 Timothy chapter 5, speaking of elders. He says, Do not admit, admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Why that? Because it's meant to protect an elder against false accusations. So two or three witnesses. But there, if there are two or three witnesses, right, then you can and you should hold an elder accountable. Uh, he goes on to say in verse 20 of 1 Timothy chapter 5, As for those who persist in sin, he's talking about elders, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. Right? Wow, how many times has that happened in a church? Probably not often, right? But here's the thing, like, I, I want to be a biblical church, right? If I persist in sin, you know, Pastor Steve can rebuke me in the presence of, of, of all of us, right? So if an elder persists in sin, Paul says to rebuke them in the presence of all. I suggest that if uh, Pastor Steve and another witness, right, they went through this process, were convinced that I was in sin and that I'm persisting in sin, well, um, they first they come talk to me. But if I continue, they can rebuke me in this public assembly and public gathering of the saints, right? So then, well, this type of thing is meant to keep me humble as well, isn't it? It's meant to keep us all humble. Um, imagine that. And, and I think, too, here's, the, here's, here's kind of the truth about those. Obviously, we never wanted to get to the very end of, uh, you know, Matthew 18, where you bring them before the church and things like that. I think most people, honestly, um, would probably be gone maybe after the first attempt or the second attempt and wouldn't even get to the third attempt of bringing them before the whole church. But some people could be so deceived and hard-hearted that, nope, I'm not doing anything wrong, even if they're in an adulterous affair. Nope, not, not, yep, yeah, bring me before the church. I'm totally fine with that. I'm not doing anything wrong. And then we try to persuade them, and because of dece being deceived and hard-hearted, uh, they just persist in it, and they're like, nope, I'm, I'm not going to change. And, uh, well, then we would remove them from covenant membership. So you kind of, and obviously I'm, I'm just reading from the Bible here, right? So we see how serious these things are to God. God wants a holy church. He's holy, isn't he? And he said, you be holy as I am holy. He's called us to be a holy church. And so we see that God puts the utmost value upon his church, doesn't he? 
He values his church, and so should we. So should we. We ought to value it. We ought to honor it. Uh, the next one there, it says, We will not neglect to meet together in fellowship and worship or to pray for ourselves and one another. This is taken from Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Think about that, right? Consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Are we doing that for each other? Let's make sure we are. He goes on to say, Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. What day is that? The return of Christ. So then all the more we should be looking to stir one another up to love and good works because today we are much closer to Jesus' return than we were yesterday. So we want to say, all right, let's stir one another up. Let's meet together. Let's not forsake this. And so what this is talking about is regular church attendance. Now, this doesn't mean perfect attendance. Nobody's going to have perfect attendance. We all get sick and things happen and life happens. But it does mean regular attendance. Uh, we can talk about that one later on if anyone wants to ask. Uh, next one, it says there, then we promise to nurture children and young people who are in our care to teach them the truths of God and by a pure and loving example to seek the salvation of our family, friends, and neighbors. Uh, obviously, this is why we do children's church and we teach them the things of God. Uh, this is taken from many passages, but one is Ephesians chapter 6. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Did you know that in the home, not only does the husband have responsibilities, the wife has responsibilities, but the children also in a Christian home have responsibilities? What's their responsibility? Obey. <laughs> That's their responsibility. And when they are disobedient, they're not just disobeying their parents, they're disobeying God, right? And so we, we, and we're the ones who teach them that as they get older, right? So I'm going to teach my son as he gets older. He doesn't understand the concepts now, but it's like, Son, when you disobey a simple command by your mother, by your father, right, you know that you're not just disobeying me, you're also disobeying God. For it's God's command that tells us, honor your father and mother, be obedient to them, right? So we teach our children these links, right? Okay, yes, there's a link going up all the way to God. And he goes on to say, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. This is by being too harsh upon them. Obviously, we realize they're children, I should treat my two-year-old like a two-year-old, not like a five-year-old, or not like a ten-year-old, right? Why? Because he's two. (laughs) So, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So we actually have this biblical command to bring up our children in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. And uh, obviously, it mentions evangelism here. I think evangelism is self-evident. Um, I, I'm not going to go into that one, but uh, next one. It says, we will welcome people into our gatherings and into our lives as we practice hospitality. So as Christ has been gracious to us, we are going to be gracious to others, of course. Romans chapter 12, verse 9 tells us this, right? Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Wow. What if we start doing that for each other? What if a community of people are just obeying these few verses right here? Love love is genuine. They abhor what is evil. They uphold fast to what is good. They love one another with brotherly affection. They outdo one another in showing honor. Wow. Who wouldn't want to be a part of a community like that, right? 
So we have to meditate on these things, don't we, in order to actually accomplish them. He goes on to say, Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. And here's where this bit gets to specifically. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Right? Seek to show hospitality to one another. That's actually a biblical command. Seek to show hospitality. Open your life to your brothers and your sisters in Christ. Right? Then he goes on to say, "We will." this is the next one, I'm sorry, the next point. We will rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep, helping to carry each other's burdens. We already mentioned in Galatians chapter 6, carrying each other's burdens. But Romans chapter 12 verse 15 explicitly says, Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Um, so, of course, we want, to, we want to do that. I think a lot of times, too, it's, um, it's easier to weep with those who weep than it is to rejoice with those who rejoice. You know, your brother or sister says, oh, I got a new house, I got a new car, you know, this thing, da, 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 da. and we're like, yeah, oh, great, you know, that's awesome. You know, maybe we don't really want to rejoice with them, but we're commanded, rejoice with them. Right? And here's the amazing thing. When you rejoice with your brother or sister, when God's blessing them, not just the material blessings, right? but in all kinds of blessings and spiritual blessings as they're growing in wisdom, as they're growing in knowledge, as they're, you know, sometimes people, they bring to you, right, uh, the Bible and say, oh my gosh, look, look right here. Like, this is what I'm learning as I'm reading through the scriptures. We're all reading together, aren't we? I'm reading here. We want to do that, don't we? It's, na- it's a human nature. It's kind of like hearing a great song. We have to have somebody else hear it. It's like, oh, listen to this song. Isn't it great? Well, when, as we do that with each other about anything in one sense, anything pure, well, then we should respond with rejoicing as opposed to, oh, I don't know what he's on about. Or I, don't, I just, they're, they're, they're kind of crazy. They're a bit kooky, you know? They're, they're excited about what they've read or they're excited about what God's doing. It's like, no, no, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And you can imagine that only takes place through a covenant community, doesn't it? it? That would only happen if we're known by each other. That would only happen if we know one another. How can you weep with somebody you don't care about? Mm-hmm. Right? So if we have this love for one another, we will weep with one another. They're crying at their loss, what's happened in their life, and we come alongside and we cry with them. Wow, that's a powerful community of people. That's a new community. That is a new community. Uh, that Jesus Christ has made. Okay, next one says, We will say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. We will strive to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age as we wait for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, this is pretty much almost taken verbatim from Titus chapter 2, verse 11 and following. He says there, Paul, to Titus, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. If God's called you to himself and he's made you a known and you're a Christian, he's called you, And he's called us to purify for himself a people for his own possession 
who are zealous for good works. What are those good works? All the things we've been talking about here, right? All the things that are listed here. Zealous for all of these things, right? So if our heart, in one sense, if we're kind of hearing these things and our heart's like, yeah, I don't want to do any of that. Whoa, that's, that's a scary sign, right? That's a scary sign. Why? Because if we've been born again by the Spirit of God, we want to do these things. We long to rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, forgive our brothers and sisters, love them, serve them, pray for them, obey the commands of Jesus Christ. Why? We've been changed. We're brand new, right? Next one to say is, we will defend and maintain the Bible-based and Christ-centered ministry in this church by supporting and upholding, number one, the preaching of the Word of God, number two, the administration of baptism in the Lord's Supper, and number three, the exercise of biblical church discipline. Um, Throughout this series, I think I've covered these items enough, so I'm not going to uh, go into detail with these ones. Uh, But if you have any questions about them later, obviously, you can ask. Okay, Next one, we will contribute cheerfully, generously, and regularly to the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel to all nations. Uh, so this is taken from, obviously, many passages, but 1, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9. Paul says there, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, He has distributed freely, for He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. So there is no percentage of what to give. Give what God puts on your heart, and what you give, you are to give cheerfully. Next one, it says, We will serve one another according to the church's needs and our abilities. Now, I know that's a real short one, um, but I want you to see how Paul foot puts forward this glorious uh, vision of service in Romans chapter 15. He puts, you, you think about it, it's like, serve one another. How could that be glorious in one sense, right? It's just like, serve one another. It sounds so pedestrian. It sounds so like backwards, like, oh, serve one another. Like, I'm supposed to be a servant. Like, how is that exciting? In fact, it sounds deflating and not exciting sometimes, doesn't it, right? But... That's because we're not seeing it properly. If it's, if it's a deflating command, it's because we're not seeing the command properly. But when we get a biblical vision, a, God, a God-lensed vision of service unto one another, we will see how glorious it actually is. I'll show you. I'll prove it to you, right? So here it is, Romans chapter 15. Paul says there, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. If you're a strong Christian, you have an obligation to your weak brother or sister in Christ. Let each of us then please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Why? Here's the glorious vision. It's Christ. For Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. This is the Old Testament. That through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Christ, the hope of Jews and Gentiles. He goes on to say, For I tell you that Christ became, here it is, what's this glorious vision of servanthood? Because Christ served himself. Because Christ was a servant. And we think Christ is beautiful, don't we? We sing what a beautiful name it is. He's a beautiful God. He's a beautiful Savior. He's a beautiful Lord. Don't we say these things? And if we know that Christ served us, then it's a glorious, glorious vision for us to serve one another then as well. We follow Christ. We do what He did. He has served us. So we follow Him in serving one another. What a glorious thing. So he says then, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. So our example of service to one another is Christ. And Paul wants us to purposefully meditate on how Christ has served us that glorious reality that he served a sinner like me. And if he served a sinner like me and like you, then I can follow him in that and serve you as well. And you can reciprocate unto one another. Okay, going on here. Uh, Almost done. Uh, I won't spend too long here on these ones. We will obey our leaders submitting to their authority so that their work will be a joy and not a burden. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Next one, we commit ourselves to being ambassadors for the kingdom of God in this city through the proclamation of the gospel and love towards all people from conception to natural birth or to natural death. Um, I'm not going to go into that one. That one's kind of been repeated in other ones as well. The next one. We will, if ever we move away from this place, seek to join with another church where we can carry out the spirit of this covenant and the principles of God's word. Not that it's going to be the exact same thing, but the spirit of the covenant and the principles of God's word. So basically, this is committing to not forsaking Christ by Christ's bride, the church, if we have to move, you know, whatever could, would happen through that. So now the closing benediction um, here of this covenant, and it's a common closing benediction that we see in the New Testament letters. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen.